Good morning. Our reading for this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29, which you'll find on page 980 of your church Bible, which is in the, the seat pocket in front of you. So we're reading from uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 to 29, page 980. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ruth, thank you very much for reading for us. Please do keep your Bibles open there, Matthew 7. Uh, and we'll look at those verses uh, together. It is indeed uh, the word of the Lord. Let me begin in prayer with some words uh, from Deuteronomy 18. Let's pray together. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. I will put my words in his mouth, says the Lord, and he shall speak them uh, to them all that I command. Father God, we do thank you for Jesus. Thank you that his words are your words. Uh, thank you that he speaks as one with authority. Please help us to hear, and not just hear, help us to do what he says. In his name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Well, over the summer we've had results day, haven't we? I don't know if that impacted you directly. Maybe you got your results. Maybe someone in your family did. Maybe we can think back to when we uh, opened that letter, or is it emails nowadays? I'm not sure. And on that day, we're often faced with loads of choices, aren't we? Uh, do we take up that particular offer? Uh, do we go for a gap year? Should we uh, change our course? Do we ask for a reset? It can feel like so much rides on that day, on the decisions we make there and then. And this morning, we see every single one of us is faced with a choice. Did you notice as we had the reading, it's very binary, just two polar opposites. It's very serious. There literally couldn't be more at stake. And it's urgent. There's not an exam coming, it's a storm, says Jesus. The storm of God's just judgment. Our passage, I think, is one of the most famous in the Bible. We may have sung that song as a child about the wise man building his house on the rock. You know, the one the rains came down and the floods came up. Uh, but what I want us to realize is this is no children's ditty. 
Jesus is reaching the crescendo of his sermon and the one thing he focuses in on is responding rightly to his word. I love it how as a preacher you you plan a sermon series and then God just completely sovereignly overrules to give us just what we need when we need it. So as I've looked at this passage it has felt really timely as we begin a new academic year. As we look forward will we sink or swim? What will mark the year ahead? Will we not only listen to Jesus but will we do what he says? It puts it all on the line as we look ahead. So firstly, this morning, you'll see there on the outline, only two responses to Jesus with only two outcomes. Verses 24 to 27. It's clear Jesus is giving us the outbox. The rubber is hitting the road. And he also gives us the motivation. Just look with me again to verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Here is wisdom versus folly. You've got the wise man building his house on the rock. It's a bit like those houses up on Mount Ephraim. Do you know the ones I mean? Maybe you go past them on a day there. They've been built almost into the rock. Nothing is going to budge them. You feel like a bomb could go off nearby and they still wouldn't be affected. And you've got also this image of um, houses near the coastline. Have you seen those on the news? I went down to Berlin Gap earlier this year and there's a house so close to the cliff that its pipes poke out into the edge of the cliff, just one big storm away from being swept out into the sea. But here in Jesus' story, I take it both houses look alike. It's hard to tell them apart. The issue is what they're built on. It's their foundations. It's what's under the surface that counts. That makes the difference. A genuine believer and someone who merely professes faith might look very similar on the surface. But in reality, their response to Jesus couldn't be more different. Can we see the distinction Jesus makes? It's between those who do his words and those who don't do them. They all hear. He's addressing those listening to him. He's addressing us today, right now, as we hear his word. The issue isn't whether we hear. The issue is whether we obey. And there's no middle ground, is there? No sitting on the fence. Very binary. Yoda wasn't the first to say do or do not. There is no try. No, for Jesus, we either do his words or we don't do them. Just two responses. In fact, we may have spotted it's a continuing a theme we've seen over the last few weeks. So just look down with me. We've already had verses 13 and 14, two gates. Verses 15 to 20, two trees. Two types of profession, verses 21 to 23. And now two houses or two builders. And as I said, the key distinction is obedience, actually doing what Jesus says. You know, sometimes when you're getting the train, maybe coming back from London, and an an announcement comes out that your train is now going to be leaving from platform two, not platform one, and you're there standing on platform one, and and the way you show you've really heard, you've really understood, is, is by moving over to platform two. 
If someone's standing there going, yeah, I heard the announcement loud and clear. I know the train is now coming in platform two, but they don't move. Well, either they've not really heard, or they don't really want to get on the train, do they? Hearing rightly leads to doing. And this Sermon on the Mount, it's about far weightier matters than catching a train. It is no small thing to hear Jesus' words, but fail to do them. Uh, just this last week, I was listening to a talk by an American pastor called Mark Dever. Uh, the talk was on authority. And he begins with a quote from Fre- Frederick Douglass. Uh, Douglass was a 19th century American who escaped slavery to become a social reformer and abolitionist. And as I uh, heard the quote, I was struck by the danger of looking like a Christian, but it not affecting how we live behind closed doors. Uh, Frederick Douglass says this. Bad as all slaveholders are, we seldom meet one destitute of every element of character commanding respect. My master was one of this rare sort. I do not know of one single noble act ever performed by him. The leading trait in his character was meanness, and if there were any other element in his nature, it was made subject to this. He was mean, and like most other mean men, he lacked the ability to control his meanness. In August 1832, my master attended a Methodist camp meeting and there experienced religion. I indulged in a faint hope that his conversion would lead him to emancipate his slaves and that if he did not do this, it would at any rate make him more kind and humane. I was disappointed in both these respects. It neither made him to be humane to his slaves nor to emancipate them. If it had any effect on his character, it made him more cruel and hateful in all his ways for I believe him to have been a much worse man after his conversion than before. Prior to his conversion, he relied upon his own depravity to shield and sustain him in his savage barbarity. But after his conversion, he found religious sanction and support for his slaveholding cruelty. He made the greatest pretensions to piety. His house was the house of prayer. He prayed morning, noon, and night. He very soon distinguished himself among his brethren and was soon made a class leader and exhorter. His activity in revivals was great, and he proved himself an instrument in the hands of the church in converting many souls. His house was the preacher's house. They used to take great pleasure in coming there to put up, for while he starved us, he stuffed them. It's grim, isn't it? Professing to live one way, living in disobedience to Jesus behind closed doors. It is not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to be interested in him. It's not enough even to listen to him. Intellectual knowledge and professing with our lips are necessary, but not sufficient. As John Stott says, they can never be a substitute for obedience. The question is not whether we say nice, polite, orthodox, enthusiastic things to or about Jesus, nor whether we hear his words, listening, studying, pondering, memorizing until our minds are stuffed with his teaching, but whether we do what we say and do what we know. In other words, whether the lordship of Jesus, which we profess, is the very beating center of our existence. Last week we were reminded even doing things for Jesus won't cut it. Just look back to verse 22 with me. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers 
of lawlessness. There is something especially ugly about religious hypocrisy. But even more than that, there is a terrifying danger in hearing Jesus' words, in putting on a show, but ultimately disobeying Jesus. You see, there are two very different outcomes. Uh, The issue is inescapably one of God's judgment. We've already looked at those chilling words of verse 23, but just look back, flick back to verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Or verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. It's clear from the context, this storm, this coming storm, is the storm of God's judgment. How we respond to Jesus' words really is this serious. Well, we want to avoid it. But how? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. They're almost the same thing, aren't they? To, to do, to do Jesus' words is to submit to him as king in every area of our lives. It is to receive him as saviour and lord. Uh, trusting him means obeying him, doing what he says. And so the, the key question really is, what does it mean to do Jesus' words. And Jesus has already explained in his sermon what it looks like. It looks like living like him. Chapter 5, verse 20. 5, verse 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or 7, verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We've seen again and again and again, the standard is desperately high. But then we remember the way into the kingdom is open to all. Do you remember how he begins the whole sermon? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who know they don't deserve it. Chapter 7, verse 7. Ask... And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. The primary thing Jesus tells us to do is receive, not achieve. The way into the kingdom isn't through what we do, but what Jesus has done. We put all our weight on him. But if we've done that, if we're doing that day by day, we will live profoundly different lives. We'll obey him. And remember, obedience isn't the same as legalism. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Doing Jesus' words means submitting to him as king, and it'll be shown in doing what he says. And in all the many areas we've been covering over the last few weeks, and it is so serious because the consequences are so contrasting. Not falling, surviving God's judgment. Great was the fall of it. Now there might just be some here wondering whether Jesus is trying to to frighten people into his kingdom. And there is a sense in which the answer is yes. One writer puts it like this. Some people may well be drawn to Christ because of the attraction of forgiveness 
Others may feel the first stirrings of desire to follow him when they first glimpse the immensity of his love or the integrity of his life or when they experience the shame engendered by his scrutiny. But not a few will come only because they see that the issues with which Jesus is concerned are eternal issues. Ultimately, nothing less than heaven and hell. Indeed, Jesus' teaching has important things to say about race relations, social justice, personal integrity, but it cannot be fairly reduced to the temporal concerns of my lifetime here. There is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. There is a a holy, a, a reverent fear we should feel as we listen to our creator warn us about the consequences of rejecting him. But the right response is always to see our poverty of spirit, to run to him for forgiveness, for safety, for entrance into his kingdom. And then surely we'll long to build our lives on his word. We'll, we'll long to put into practice what he says. We'll long to obey him. If we uh, were to take a long, hard look at our lives, if someone else were to, I wonder what they would say it is built upon. What is my life built on? Comfort? career or Christ knowing him obeying him there is no middle ground when it comes to good foundations only one way will last only one way leads to life now of course it's not that we've already attained perfection in obeying Jesus if you think that is you can come and tell me afterwards and tell me what the secret is but no none of us have attained perfection but it is where our hearts should be We long to obey him. We strive in his strength to obey him. When we fail, we run to him. There is forgiveness, love, comfort for all who turn back to him. And so his words are not only what we stake our eternity on, but they are what we stake our every day on. The gospel needs to permeate all the way down. And we're not alone Uh, We have one another, yes, helping us in this, and Christ has given us his spirit to strengthen us, equip us, to convict us and change us. Not only must we obey Jesus, uh, by his grace we can. It may just be, though, that we're still thinking, well, really, why should I obey Jesus? Why do we need to do his word? Well, if avoiding God's just judgment wasn't enough, And we see in the final two verses, Jesus is the only one with authority. Again, you'll see it there on the outline. Jesus is the only one with authority. Uh, We may have spotted in the news there's been a big to-do over in the States at the moment about whether the FBI has the authority to raid the residence of a uh, former president. Uh, There is no doubt here there is there at all about the authority Jesus has. Look with me at verse 28 again. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. In the play Measure for Measure, Shakespeare's Isabella says these words, But man, proud man, dressed in a little brief authority, most ignorant of what he's most assured, His glassy essence, like an angry ape, plays such fantastic tricks before heaven as make the angels weep. Any mere human making the kinds of claims Jesus does would be speaking out of complete ignorance. Their words would be nothing more than fantastic tricks 
before high heaven. But Jesus has genuine, full, divine authority. If we were in any doubt, it's underlined for us. Jesus' words aren't something we can just take or leave as we choose. Obedience to him isn't something we can just dismiss. How does Matthew's gospel end? We say it week by week. Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not just some, not even more or most, but all authority. And this means we can't have Jesus' teaching without Jesus. We can't pick and choose which bits to submit to. It is all or nothing. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There may be two ways to live, but there's only one way to life. Every now and again you hear people uh, talking about liking Jesus' teaching, having respect for him as a, a great teacher, but not actually submitting to him as Lord of their lives. But we can't leave Jesus in limbo, as it were. Either he has authority over us, or he doesn't. This sermon we've been looking at over the summer isn't just good advice. It's not even rules to live by. It is a royal summons. This is our king speaking. Uh, so, for example, did we notice how doing Jesus' words, verse 24, is equated with doing the will of the Father in heaven, verse 21? It's the same thing. It's bold, isn't it? To say your words are on a par with God's. To say obedience to you is exactly the same as obedience to God. But again and again and again in this sermon, Jesus has underlined his authority. Uh, just think about it. In the Old Testament, how do prophets announce their oracles? If you're familiar with the Old Testament, thus says the Lord. And Jesus never says that, not once. How does he speak in his sermon? Truly, I say to you. He speaks in his own name with his own authority. He knows his authority is divine. It is a remarkable authority Jesus has. Back in our, our passage this morning, he says, human wisdom and human folly are found, are shown in how we respond to his words. Just think about it for a moment. That is staggering, isn't it? The only wise people in the whole world are those who build their lives on what Jesus says. And if anyone ignores his word, well, they're a fool, says Jesus. I wonder how this makes us feel. It could be you're here for the first time or you're, you're still investigating Christian things. Do we find what Jesus says a bit much? Well, do consider signing up to the Christianity Explored course later this term to, to take time out to think through more about what Jesus said and what he did. If you're not yet a Christian, the right response is recognizing who Jesus is and submitting to him. As good as listening to Jesus' words is, please don't be someone who merely listens but doesn't respond. A similar rock imagery comes up again in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16 where the penny drops for Peter, one of Jesus' first followers. Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, 
And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Doing Jesus' words must mean believing he is who he says he is. He is the Christ, God's King. He is the Lord, God over all. And we saw just last week, he is the judge. Verse 22, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and so on? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is the one who decides our eternal destinies. Heaven and hell rest on his verdict of us. But it rests not on our performance. Praise the Lord. And judgment, did you spot again? It's not just ruin. It's not just destruction. It is departing from Jesus. Will we listen to the one with all authority? There's an apocryphal story, I'm sure many of us, if not all of us, have heard it before, of a naval ship on a collision course. It is an old one, but a good one. Uh, The captain of the ship says uh, to the other uh, vessel, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The response, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. Uh, The Navy respond, this is the captain of a US Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. No, I say again, divert your course. Uh, The captain gets more stern. This is an aircraft carrier, the second largest ship in the fleet. We're accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, numerous support vessels. I demand you change your course 15 degrees north or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Final response. This is the lighthouse. Your call. Jesus' authority is not up for grabs. Uh, We can't skirt around it. We can't escape it. It demands our obedience. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Your call, almost. This uh, final section in Jesus' sermon has been a tremendous encouragement to me to go back over the whole sermon, back over chapters 5 to 7, and ask myself, where do I want to disobey? Where don't I want to obey? Where am I most tempted to take my foot off the pedal? And we could ask one another, it would be a great question to ask where our blind spots might be. How we can and should help one another in this. And as we close, let's not forget that for God too, words and deeds go together. God promises salvation and God achieves, he works salvation. It is the reassurance we need as we leave with fresh determination to base our lives on obeying Jesus' words. Our confidence rests not on our ability to do Jesus' words, but on his ability to fulfill his own word. And as we remind one another every week, he is with us always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. He was teaching them as one who had authority. Father God, we do thank and praise you for these words of Jesus, not just what we've been looking at today, but everything we've seen in this Sermon on the Mount. Please, would you give us all ears to hear? And by your spirit, strengthen us to obey that we might 
receive Jesus' salvation and submit to him as Lord in every area of our lives. Please, in your kindness and by your spirit, expose where we are struggling or even don't want to obey Jesus. And help us to help one another. In this, we thank you for the the church family here at St. John's. Would we be a church who uh, support and equip one another in going back to Jesus' words, in submitting to him? We ask it all in his precious name and for your glory. Amen.